associate pastor at uh, Coquitlam Alliance, and uh, we've got something exciting planned for next year. Uh, David comes back regularly and speaks among us. He, he's a gift to our church on Sundays when he does speak with us. And in February, for, for the four Wednesdays of February, he's going to be teaching a class here at Hillside that he's taught before at Bible college level, and uh, it's called Christ in Culture. It's, a, it's an exceptional grappling with how do we live our Christian faith among some of the hot topics and real issues of our day. And so we're going to be grappling with over four Wednesdays topics like uh, science and faith. Do they go together or not? And we're going to be talking about do all religions lead to God? Important questions to grapple with. We're going to talk about uh, how can we avoid becoming slaves to society, and we're going to be looking at uh, homosexuality from a Christian perspective. Is gay okay? We're going to be asking that question, and it's going to be really, really good. These are questions some of you have been wrestling with, grappling with, and uh, I'd suggest you set aside those four Wednesdays. Uh, There's going to be a sign-up for that in the new year. We'd like to know if you're you're, going to come, and and there'll be limited seating, so please uh, consider coming for those four Wednesdays to, to wrestle with those very, very good topics. Again, Dave needs little, David needs little introduction in, in this house because we, uh, he's just a regular guest, and uh, we're grateful to have him here this morning. And uh, would everyone just uh, turn to this guy and say, hi, David, you're welcome this morning. Do that. to be here. I'm always glad to be here. Such a fun, lively church. Um, you know, this weekend is the uh, fourth week of Advent, fourth Sunday of Advent. And I was thinking if the candles didn't indicate this, the, um, the parking lot in Coquitlam Center should have indicated I was one of those fools that yesterday <laughs> went to the mall, and I thought I was smart. I thought, okay, I'll go early, um, but we didn't, my, I was bringing my daughter because we had to do some shopping. I haven't even started, um, so we thought, yeah, we'll just go, and, uh, but we were a little bit late. You know, the mall opens at 9.30, I guess, and we got there like 10.15 or 10, but we thought it was pretty early, and as we were walking in, I realized, no, it's not early, and there's this guy walking out and he has all these bags and he had this smug look on his face it's like i beat the crowd man and i walked in there and it's just like oh i hate them all i i i, I so we, we, we spent some time there i ended up buying i think one gift <laughs> we walked into sears i was with my daughter and we walked about 20 feet and i looked at her i said Let's go. She goes, yes, let's go. <laughs> so we just left. So, uh, yeah, it's getting close. Now, here's the challenge, though, because if we're not careful, I mean, this always happens to me. It often happens to me. Um, Christmas will come and Christmas will go. And rather than being a Christmas to remember, it'll be like, what just happened? We've missed Christmas. <laughs> and so what I want to do this morning is, I mean, we have an opportunity to kind of enter into the story, to, to set aside some time and to re-enter the Christmas story. So that's what I want to do this morning. And I want to look at, this morning, four encounters. Four encounters people have with angels. 
And if I'm not mistaken, um, after the Christmas story where you get lots of angelic encounters, if I'm not mistaken, nobody other than Jesus encounters an angel until the resurrection. But at this point, whenever there's something big happening, whenever there's, there's a, a big announcement or something exciting that's happening, you, angels tend to be involved. And they get called into duty for announcing the coming of Jesus Christ. And so it's not a big surprise this time of year. We sing a lot of songs about angels, right? We did this morning. There's angels from the realms of glory, uh, angels we have heard on high, and hark the herald angels sing. And it's almost as if all of heaven leans in when God the Father acts decisively in history at a specific time, at a specific place to bring about the redemption of the world. And where the hopes and the fears of all the years all get pinpointed into this key event and that is the birth of Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. And it's at this point that all the hopes of the Old Testament, all the stories, all the prophecies of the Old Testament, everything moves towards this moment. And I love the way Peter describes it in the New Testament. He says, man, this news is so big that even angels kind of lean in, right? And so we're going to look at that uh, four angelic encounters. And we're going to look at a familiar passage uh, Luke chapter 2. We'll be talking around Luke chapter 2, but we're going to read Luke chapter 2. If, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. This is a familiar passage. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, I didn't grow up in the church, yet I heard this story, heard this passage every year watching Charlie Brown's Christmas because Linus always, Linus always reads this. All right, so Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those to, with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that they had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things 
pondering them in our heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Lord Jesus, this is about you. You're not an ideology, you're not a philosophy, you're not a set of propositions, but you are personal and you are present with your people this morning. We've been singing your praises. And we remember your first coming and we anticipate your second. And so, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us this morning? Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And soften our hard hearts. Focus in our distracted hearts that we may receive from you and have the courage to respond to whatever you say to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Now here's the problem. I would guarantee that most of you here this morning have heard that passage read just shy of a gazillion times. I mean, it's a passage... Again, even if you didn't grow up in the church, it's a passage you're going to come across. And one of the dangers is, is you can hear a story so many times that you can grow immune to its message. Or it's become a message that's so sentimental that its, it's game-changing message is drowned out by all the activity that goes on around Christmas. And yet we need to hear this story. Why? It is the most important story, it is the most important news that any human being could ever hear. If you miss out on this story, you miss out on what your life is all about. If you miss this story, you miss out on what it means to be truly and fully human. Okay, so there's a lot at stake here. And yet the challenge is, is we've heard this story so many times. But we need to hear this story. Because one of the things that you'll find as we go through this story, I hope, is that this is a story of cosmic proportions. It, it, its scope is large, right? It's the salvation of all of humanity. And yet... It is a story that is deeply and personally intimate. And the two go together. And this is important to realize. Is that the God we worship is not a God of generalities. God does not love all of humanity like a category. God loves you by name. He loves us in the details and the personalness and the stories of our own lives. This is important to realize. And so what I'm asking you to do this morning as we look at these four encounters is I want to ask you to lean in. And, and as we're hearing these stories, I want you to look for points of intersection between these stories and the story of your own life. Will you do that? Yeah? Okay. Well, let's look at the four, four stories. Here's the first story. It's the story of Zechariah. No, we didn't actually read this. This is actually um, uh, um, recounted in Luke chapter 1. But it's a story of a, a guy named Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. And we find Zechariah in the temple doing the work of a priest. 
Now, what do we know about Zechariah? Well, we know he's described in the, in the Bible as being, along with his wife Elizabeth, being righteous, being blameless. It doesn't mean that they were perfect, but they were faithful, right? And they tried to live obedient lives before the God of Israel. Now, what were their hopes and fears? Well, they served God by observing his commands and decrees blamelessly, but here's the thing. There was a shadow that lay in their lives. And we read it in Luke chapter 1. It says, yes, they're doing all these things. They're, they're blameless and they, they try to be obedient. But there's a shadow. And what's a shadow? Is that they never had children. Elizabeth was barren. But also, they were old. They never had children. And now they're advanced in years. So, the hopes that they may have had, the hopes of having a family, to hear the sound of children running around in their home, those hopes were gone. And the, the hopes for the life that a family brings, rather than experiencing those, those things, they experience barrenness. And, and Zechariah carried this with him year after year after year as he worked as a priest in the temple. Now, why am I saying this? Because some of you here this morning may be experiencing an emptiness or a barrenness in your own life. Some of you here this morning may have had hopes, may have had dreams, but they never really happened. You'd hope that your life was going to turn out a certain way. But it hasn't. And some of you, when you look back at your life, there are points of disappointment where you experience regret, where you wish you said something, but you didn't, or you wish you hadn't have said that, you hadn't have made that decision. And now it's too late. You see, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew. They knew the Old Testament stories. They knew that, you know, God had met, you know, um, um, Sarah, when she was barren and, and, and Abraham and Sarah, they had children. They knew the stories of Hannah and Elkanah. But it seemed to, to Zechariah and Elizabeth that God had forgotten them. And then something happens. Our first angelic encounter. Angel of the Lord appeared and, and when Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear, which I get. But what does the angel say to him? What does the angel say? What's the first thing the angel says? Fear not. Yeah, don't be afraid. Now, he says, do not be afraid. And then the angel says this. For your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Well, the prayer that, uh, that you know, he's a priest. The prayer that God will redeem his, his, his world. Because that's the prayer that a, a, a priest and... Israel would have been praying that God would send his Messiah. Was that the prayer that was being heard? No. Well, yes. Your prayer is being heard. What prayer? Well, I think it's the prayer that Zechariah had long given up praying. The prayer that one day he and his wife would have children. 
And I'll tell you, this is key. Because it reminds us that though we may forget our prayers, God does not. We may have long forgotten these prayers, but God does not. God remembers Zechariah's prayer. He knew his heart's desire. He knew his longing for a family. And he says through his angel, he says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And John becomes who? John the Baptist. Yeah, now John the Baptist plays a pretty big role in the whole story of redemption, doesn't he? He's like um, the one who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's like, like a new Elijah preparing the way for the coming of the Savior. And so in the cosmic story of redemption, John the Baptist, who's to be born, plays a huge role. Now get this. The birth of John the Baptist also plays a huge role in the ordinary, everyday longings of an aging couple who wanted to have children. Now we can't miss this. Because what God does and it's only God can do this, is that he interweaves, he weaves together our own personal stories and our longings, and he weaves it together with his great purposes. And we see this over and over and over again. People often say, well, is it one or the other? No, it's both. God uses our own, the details, the stuff of our lives to intersect with his greater purposes. And so for Zechariah and Elizabeth, their personal stories are swept into God's greater story to save the world. So let me ask you this. Where are you experiencing regrets and disappointments in your life? And can this be a place, can these be places where you can invite God into where, do, do you believe that God can work in the details of your own life yet also bring about his greater purposes? They go together. So that's Zechariah. Let's look at Mary. What do we know about Mary? Well, again, she also appears to be devout. But she also seemed to have her own hopes and fears. Now, in contrast to Zechariah and Elizabeth who look back at their life with moments of regret and disappointment, Mary's looking forward to a full life. And for a time, for Mary, her future laid wide open before her. Why? Because she was young. She was betrothed to get married to a man who was a good guy. Right? Joseph is a good guy. And for Mary, she was setting out into a future like she and like many young women looked forward to and hoped for. She was looking forward to a wedding with family and with friends, a wonderful celebration, and, and then maybe she's hoping that, that someday she and Joseph, that they would have children. And so she imagined a stable future characterized by a good, solid husband. Maybe with, with children. And that her life would play out just maybe like her mom's did and like her grandmother's did and like generations before her. And then an angel shows up. And she's afraid of what? What is she afraid of? Well, that things may not turn out the way she had imagined. Gabriel comes into her home, the very home 
where Mary is hoping to take her place as, as a wife and as a mother. And we read that Mary was greatly troubled. <laughs> Again, I get that. Seeing an angel in your home is troubling. Um, but it gets even more troubling when she hears the message. And what is the message? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great, he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now we know Mary, she hears this news, this, this amazing news, and remarkably she says yes to Gabriel. She said, I'm the servant of the Lord. She says, I'm willing to participate in God's cosmic purposes for the salvation of all of humanity. She even breaks into song. But let me ask you this. I want to ask the women here. If you were Mary, what would you have been feeling the moment the angel entered your home and made this announcement? How would you have felt if you had to choose a word to describe how you'd feel? What would it be? Shock. Uncertainty. Yeah, uncertainty. Everything's kind of thrown, thrown into turmoil. What else? Overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, because you figure Mary at this time, she's maybe 15, 15 years old. Anything else? Worried? Unworthy, yeah. 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 I mean, you think about how her life is going to be turned upside down. What's going to happen? Will she be divorced? Will she become an object of shame in a shame-based community? What will happen to her home? What will happen to all of her dreams for a home? Will they ever come true? And now how is she going to deal with this new, confusing, staggering, miraculous reality? Now Mary is actually being asked to suffer quite deeply here. She's being called to take her hopes for the future, her hopes for a normal family, and to let them go. Things are not going to work out the way she had hoped. Now let me ask you this. How many of you here this morning are in a place where you have to let go of the hopes you had for the future? How many of you, when you look at your life, realize that, you know what, things are not working out the way you had hoped and dreamed? Some of you may have had dreams of a family, having a family, and it hasn't worked out. Some of you had dreams of a long-lasting marriage and it didn't work out. Some of you hope that your kids are going to turn out a certain way yet things have turned out differently. I no wonder Gabriel says to Mary, fear not. Though your hopes are not working out the way you planned, fear not. And maybe some of you this morning need to hear the Words of Gabriel, fear not. Yes, things have not turned out the way you had hoped. But we do not need to be afraid. 
Because like Mary, and she realized this, our identity, our future, our lives are in God's hands. And as Duran pointed out and reminded us, this God is Emmanuel, who is a with us God, who is good, who can be trusted, and who will not abandon us. And I still find it fascinating that here you have a story of a young girl named Mary with all of her hopes and fears of all the years. And her own life and her personal life is now woven together with God's plans to save humanity. Now let's look at Joseph. What do we know about Joseph? Well, he's described as a good man. He's a just man. He's a carpenter. We know in the first century there's good work around Nazareth, so he's got work to do. We know he's probably he's older than Mary. And I don't know about you, but when I look at Joseph, I imagine he's a solid man. Solid in so many ways. Uh, he was a solidly virtuous businessman, desired a solid family, was willing to live diligently as a husband, as hopefully a father providing for his family's needs, like many of you guys here. But then... The life-altering news comes to Joseph. Mary is pregnant. But what in the world does it mean that she is pregnant from the Holy Spirit? So now, guys, your turn. Mary tells you she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What are some words to describe how you would feel? Yeah, right. <laughs> Two words. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, what else? Anything else? Shock, yeah, absolutely. Maybe betrayal, right? I mean... Joseph, he's a solid guy, right? So he, and he's a decent guy, so he's, he's planning to try to do the right thing. He's planning to divorce Mary quietly, not bring public shame onto her through his actions. And so he goes to bed that night. And he's filled with fear and confusion. Now, I get that. As a guy, I get that. Now, women, I'm gonna, we're, we're, guys, we're going to open up a little bit. We're going to tell you, this, this is how guys operate. Guy, yeah, here, oh, yeah. <laughs> Write this down. It won't take long. <laughs> but the thing about guys, what guys like to do is we like to be in control of situations. We do. It's not always a bad thing. But what becomes very frustrating for men is when we want to be in control and we're not. Now, for Joseph, he's trying to be in control. And many of us, we try to get into control. We try to get on top of things. And if we can't get in control of something, men get frustrated and they get angry. And we lash out sometimes. And this happens whenever, you know, men, if we lose a job or, or someone's sick or... I mean, this stuff, it keeps this, this cold fear we get in our gut, and it keeps us awake at night. That's what's happening to Joseph. But then something happens. God breaks into history. 
God carries out His divine purposes for all of humanity. Get this. God carries out His divine purposes for all of humanity by entering into the dreams of an anxious, fearful carpenter. It's amazing. And what does what the angel says? It says, fear not. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So let me ask you guys, where are you experiencing that cold fear in your life right now? I remember. I got three kids. I remember my eldest when we came home from the hospital. And I have my son. And he fits in the crook of my arm. He's six foot two now. But he's, sit, he's, in the, he's in the crook of my arm. And I'm looking at him one night. Just got home from the hospital. And I had that moment where it was just like, what have I done? <laughs> what, what? This isn't just for a week. Like, this, isn't, this isn't just like a little project that I can try out for a little while. This is for life. And it just hit me. And my heart went, oh. Because all of a sudden, I had never experienced this before. All of a sudden, my heart was now outside of me. And I'm not in control. And all the fears and all the, all the, all the anxieties, you know, will I be able to provide for this little thing? Will I be able to, to, to make enough money on the West Coast to look after my family? And I was anxious. And many of you guys, I know, we, 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 we struggle with this. We struggle with this in, in our families or in, in, in work or maybe in our desire to find work or some of you are in school and you're, you're wondering what's next. And we need to hear the words of the angels that say, do not be afraid. Because here's the reality, guys, we are not in control. But that's okay. Because there is one who is in control. And he is good and he can be, in tr and he can be trusted. And so what we need to do, as hard as this is, is we need to take our hopes and our fears of all the years and allow the presence of God to meet with us. And so Joseph, he obeys the divine word that's given to him personally and intimately in his sleep, and he ends up playing a key role in the salvation of the entire world. And that leads us to our last group, the shepherds. It's a final angelic encounter until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing that strikes me about the shepherds, and it's this. It's how completely unnecessary the shepherds are to the Christmas story. I know I just ruined every Christmas pageant, but you don't need the shepherds. Mary, you need. Joseph, you need. Zechariah, you need. You don't need the shepherds. Nothing. From Genesis to Revelation would change about God's salvation of humanity, nothing would be missing if there's no shepherds in the Christmas story. So why are the shepherds included? Well, I like what Walter Wongren talks about. He says, 
He says, you know, I, I can read the story of Mary and kind of get a sense of her. I can read the story of Joseph and I think, yeah, I like Joseph, but I can't be like Joseph. Zechariah, I like him, but I can't be like... I can be a shepherd. And I think why the shepherds are included is to give place for people like you and me. And you know the story of the shepherds. I mean, the shepherds in society, they were considered the lowest of the lows, right? They were on the lowest rung in society. They were people that did not matter. And in fact, the shepherds we've come across in, 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 in the story are even lower than that because they worked for the shepherds. They were stuck on the night shift, right? And yet... These people who are in the lowest of lows, who did not matter, God appears, angels appear. Not one angel, but an entire host of angels, thousands of angels. And I wonder if it's to tell us, it's to remind us that, that those of us who feel that we do not matter are being invited into something that really matters. And then I, I bet there's some of you here this morning, you've done things, you've said things, you've done so many things, you think, man, I'm disqualified. I mean, I appreciate the Christmas story, but I've done so many things, there's not a chance that God would give a rip about a person like me. Well, that's why we got the shepherds. Because the shepherds remind us that no, none of us is too far away from God's purposes. None of us are uninvited. To the Christmas story. Every single one of us. Every single one of us ragamuffin shepherds are invited to the story. The angels say to the shepherds, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for only the special people. What does it say? It'll be for all the people including those of us who think we don't qualify to be part of God's plans and purposes. And so this is an invitation to you this morning to join the rest of us ragamuffin shepherds and witness heaven opening wide and thousands of angels proclaiming tidings of great joy. You see, Christmas is a season of fear knots. And so whatever your hopes and fears of all the years this morning, bring them to the God of the fear knots. Some of you here this morning are afraid of the future. It's connected to your home, to your family, to work, to school. You need to bring this to Jesus. Now, how do we do this? I think there's a word that helps us do this. It's a, it's a little word in Greek. It's a, the word is idu. We translate that as behold, but it actually just means look. Look. So we can move from our deepest fears to the reassurance of God's favor and grace if we look. When we lift up our eyes to the Christ child, when we lift up our eyes to the cross and receive the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ and the life that he longs to give us. Now just over a week ago, I led a, a memorial for one of my favorite people at, uh, at our church. Uh, Joyce, you're here. Where's Joyce? Yeah, yeah, you were there. It's a, a good friend of ours, um, Joyce Berry, um, was at our church for many, many years. And she's a wonderful lady. She'd always usher. Hey, she ushered at the, uh, at the 11th service. Did I mention she ushered in the 11:15 service? 
And, and one of the things about Joyce is, I, you know, I, I knew her for about 13 years. And, and I knew that she experienced a lot of hardship in her life. She lost two sons. I, I knew both of them. They were both around my age. And uh, she just lost her, um, a son to cancer about six or seven months ago. Um, I know another one two years before. And, and one of the things about Joyce I always noticed is that she had so much joy, but I knew she experienced a lot of suffering. And it was one of those unique pictures where you see joy and suffering together. Like they're not opposite. You can see in the Christian life, people who suffer much but can also experience deep, deep joy. And I saw that in Joyce's life. But one thing I didn't know is just how deep her pain went because she had actually lost a third child. And it happened a long time ago. Um, she had a daughter named Sandra. And when her daughter was seven years old, she's coming back from a birthday party and got hit by a car and died. And Joyce um, journaled. And one of the daughters was sharing from her journal. And uh, understandably, when this happened, Joyce was devastated. And all the questions would come up. How could God allow such a... All these questions came up. And she was so devastated that this cloud stuck to her and she fell into a deep, deep depression. I didn't know any of this. And she even contemplated many times suicide. And she couldn't shake it. She couldn't shake it. And then she journaled about how one night, and I asked the family if I could share this, she journaled how one night everything changed. And she made a point to say this was not a dream. She was in bed at night with all of her disappointed hopes. And she woke up in the middle of the night, and at the end of her bed, she saw Jesus. And she crawled to the end of the bed. And there she lay into Jesus' arms and he, and he embraced her. And she cried and cried and cried and cried and cried out. And Jesus just held her. And then she said in the next morning, she said, she still had the question. She still, still wondered, what, you know, what happened? But the cloud had lifted. Because she knew that her child and that her life was in the hands of one who was good and who can be trusted and who would never, ever leave or forsake her. And she carried that with her all of her life. And so let me ask you this. Where are you looking this Christmas? The irony is that this is a season where our attention is divided into a hundred different directions, but there's only one place to look, one place to edu. <laughs> and that is to look to Jesus. For all of our hopes and fears of all the years are met in Him at Christmas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you for your word. We look to you. The hopes and fears, and we carry lots of them, 
of all the years are met in you. Lord, we look at our lives and we look at the past and things that we regret and the disappointments and we give them over to you. We take our futures and all the things the things are not working out the way we had hoped. Children are not turning out the way we had hoped. Our lives are not turning out. And yet we recognize that our lives are in your hands. And you are good, you are kind, you can be trusted, and you can take the details and the wounds and all the things of our lives and weave them together with your purposes in a way that only you can. And we can't figure out, but we say to you this morning that our lives are in your hands. We look to you, for in you and you alone is her life. In your name, amen.